0: RCAF Jump Seat, you are clear for takeoff.
1: RCAF Jump Seat, the official podcast of the Royal Canadian Air Force. Today in the jump seat, Lieutenant Colonel Jean-Viv Dussault, Commanding Officer, 402, City of Winnipeg Squadron. Now here's your host, Major Indira Thackeray Hi, and welcome to the RCAF Jump Seat. I'm your host, Major Indira Thackeray. I'm joining you from Ottawa, and I am joined by Lieutenant Colonel jean Dussault. Ma'am, thank you so much for being here. The pleasure is mine. I have been going through your bio, and it has been an amazing career for you. So you joined the military in 1996, just like I did. So we've clearly got great moisturizers. And I see here you went to World Military College, which is where it all started. You've got a Bachelor of Civil Engineering degree. And you were born in Quebec, so small town girl, moves over to Greenwood, Nova Scotia. And then you moved on to the bigger jobs in Toronto and Winnipeg. And now you are the commanding officer of 402 Squadron City of Winnipeg. I think that is so cool. And I can't wait to hear all about your journey.
0: Well, this journey started with a visit from the recruiting team at my high school. And it gave me the idea that it, would, it could be a great summer job to join the reserve and um, get some money to pay for my university. Because I was raised with a mother uh, and a sister, and I knew that all the money that I would be using for school would come from my own pocket. So I, I thought that the reserve opportunity would be a great option. So I went to the recruiting center not knowing like I have nobody in my family that is in the military. I don't know anything. But again, I was on my way for a summer job and I get there and I I see like different pamphlets on the wall and about going to school, you know, military school and free education. I'm like, wow. Okay. So my struggle is to go to school and having to, you know, get in depth to go to school, but Maybe I could go to school with the military, so I, I read more and asked question at the recruiting center, and decided to apply for uh, through RMC, like Royal Military College, get an education with the military, and then pr- pursue a career. At the time, I did not realize how wonderful of a, an opportunity that was, because I did not understand that this time was would be pensionable, like the, the when you're sixteen, seventeen years old, and. You know, you're going to go to school for free and you're going to have a salary on the side, but the pensionable time, like it's not some, it was not a concept I understood really. Now I, I, I see how magical it was and it is because now I'm on my 28 years in the military, but five of those years have been at school. So got my degree in civil engineering and then uh, I, I actually joined with the army because It's Again, I I had nobody to talk to uh, and ask advice on what to do in the military. And the only person I I talked to at the time that could describe things to me was the recruiting officer. And what I understood at the time is that there was not a lot of opening for the RCAF. So I was like, well, I really want to join. I really want to do this. So I'm going to join with the Army. And I did. And I was armored. It was my number one choice at the time, got armored. And then I started my training and immediately saw so many Air Force personnel around, you know, students like me, future students like me. And I'm like, okay, if all those students can join and be in the Air Force, I can do it, too. So I asked for a change immediately. Like I I, I have done absolutely no training with the Armor Corps. I got my transfer to um, to Air Ops and uh, got my training into the uh, air combat system officer and uh, you know you, you get your degree and then you you have to do your training so my I came to Winnipeg do my training at the time you, you needed a, to have a an english profile so and I had just received my english profile which was like bbb that's the minimum to get on the course but I have to tell you that I had gone through university all in French, and I ever spoke French in my my early years, you know, and it was it was it was tough to to get training in English for the first few uh, like the first few months. Like you know, sometimes when you're you go to La La Land and you don't listen to class for a few minutes, and when it's your in your own language, when you come back to to your instructor, you you catch you catch up pretty fast, but. I felt like I was like if I was distracted for a second, I felt like I lost the complete, you know, the complete uh, story. And uh, yeah, it, it it I had some headaches at the end of, of each day at first. But, you know, that's that's all you improve. And and I'm actually really proud to 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 have gone through all this improvement in my second language and my kids still. To this day, because they're fully bilingual, um, they, they tease me because they're, they're like, mom, you still have such a thick accent. I'm like, yes, you ch- it's true. But since you've been born, like you, you've you learned, you talk both languages all the time. I have not. Like I, I learned English in high school a little bit to, to just be able to state my name. But it was really at university that I, I was able to engage with anglophone um, and, and got my my career all in English afterwards, so a, a huge uh, learning curve. That's for sure. As a first-generation immigrant to Canada
1: and being English, I grew up in Toronto from the age of twelve when my family moved here. And most people in the military are Anglophones, and they have such a hard time getting their French profile. And now I'm hearing the complete opposite. So it's so interesting that you know it doesn't it doesn't just happen the other way around. It it is part of the challenge of being in the military and part of. Our forces all being so bilingual and having to uh, adhere to the Official Languages Act, which I think is great, which I think <laughs> because it does make us more flexible when we work internationally, and and you did work internationally in your career. What has been your international experience?
0: So yeah, that's that's very interesting. Like I did not go on any operations uh, per se. Uh, I was ready to go on, on multiple times backup for for different opportunities. But I did a lot of exercises with other countries, and at the time that I, I when I started flying with the Aurora, we had no submarines, no Canadian submarines, and one of the the, the um, specialties of the uh, Aurora is anti-submarine warfare. So to to practice, we were using the simulators, but at some point, you know, you need to do the the job for real. So we had to go and and do some um, exercises like across the globe like uh, one of my first my first trip I believe was in yeah was in Scotland so like working with the Scottish um, trying to you know I I, as this little young francophone trying to decipher the 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 Scottish accent was uh, another challenge of mine and I remember we were all paying attention on, on the radios, right? We were flying, trying to land, and, and everybody's paying attention, making sure we got all the clearances because it's just a different accent, right? when you work in a, a different country. But so that was my first ever travel trip with the Aurora. And second, we it was Australia, you know. Uh, but I, I had the opportunity to go to Portugal, France, France. Um, like so many places. And again, it was to practice anti-submarine warfare and play with other countries. Uh, And, you know, we had some scenarios. We had to find the submarine in the water, kind of playing a bit of war um, just to practice and trying to detect the submarine and and chase the submarine. So it was was really exciting, really exciting opportunities. Um, And you always have time on the ground to To connect with the different nations because you stay on their bases, so you get on base, you you talk to um to the air force of of the area and um, find their the way they they do business, which is oftentimes a little different than than us. and but it's by that collaboration is that's how you grow and then you you get the best practice of every country and it makes you better for sure. Just when you thought you
1: had English down pat, you, you, you went to work with the Scottish. That's funny.
0: Well, but to me, they, at the end of the day, we we laugh about it, but they were kind of the easy ones to understand. The ones for me that I couldn't, I, I needed translator when I was speaking to uh, New Zealanders. I could not, under, like Australians, I was fine, but New Zealanders, I needed my translator with me because I, I just could not do it. <laughs>
1: I think it's super great that you had the opportunity to work overseas. Most military people do, which of course is one of the draws of being a part of the military. Tell us a little bit about how you were received internationally. I want to I want to just get into being a woman in the military. Not a lot of women in the aviation world internationally. A um, little more in North America, and in the military, of course, a lot less. What was it like when you arrived in places like Scotland and New Zealand? And of course, you're a, you're a woman as part of the crew. Were you, were you treated differently? What was that like?
0: I think I was so young when I did all those trips that I was a bit unaware of of it. You know, like yes. There was not a lot of us, I, I remember that for sure, but there was not a lot of us anywhere. So it was not a big surprise to be in a different country and not having any women on a crew, you know, like it, it used to be like that anywhere. And when I started my career in, back in Greenwood as a Lieutenant Dussault, way back when, like when, when I look at my community, like I could only see captains like that were female. You know, there was no majors at the time, and so that those were my mentor of the time. And I have to say, some are still very important to me, and they are—they are like you know, I can call them at any any day to ask questions, and and, and they're still there. They're still uh, they're still around. Like Mary Cameron Kelly, she was the first woman flying the Aurora way back when, and she still to this day fly the Aurora. And she's still Captain Mary Cameron Kelly, and I would go anywhere with her. She's absolutely awesome. She has uh, over eight thousand hour of flying time. Can you believe it? Eight thousand hours. But uh, yeah, she was she was for me way back when a, a great mentor. But I, that's when I realized I'm like, well, I'm I'm lifting it, and the only supervisor I have for f- women are. Or captains, and actually, they were never supervisors to me. They were just at this unit at the same time because I have never, never yet had a woman supervisor, and and, and that's maybe because I'm in the aviation world, like flying. But I know I've, I've talked to other people, like logistician, and they have a different experience. They had a lot of women supervisors in the past, so it depends. Where you are, and as you mentioned, we're such a small contingent of, of women flying. There's less than five percent of us flying. You know, they say we are sixteen percent in the um, in the calf, and I, maybe the, those stats are like a year old, but in people flying planes, that's less than five percent. And you have some support trade that there's a bit more than the sixteen percent. That so it depends what what you do. But right now I have to say, I'm, I'm very proud to say that in, in my community with the Aurora, we've had a, a woman uh, commanding 4-5 squadron, commanding 4-4 four four squadron, 14 uh, OSS, and myself uh, as the LRP, the long range patrol, um, CO of 4-2 squadron here in Winnipeg. So, and I'm, I'm the first one. So we've had our first women commanding units and it's, it's been, you know, to me, it's a, it's a beautiful change.
1: I think it's so startling to hear you say that you've never had a woman supervisor. That it just seems so crazy to me. And yet um, something that's unfortunately kind of common here in the military, which is why I think it's so important that we um, really embody that mentorship program that we've got going. And. You're at that point in your career where you've already broken through the glass ceilings and now it's time for you to hold the door open for others. Tell us a little bit about the mentorship aspects of your job.
0: Yeah, I've been um, I do a lot of mentorship, you know, for 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 people, but I I take the time because I know how important it is and sometimes it's just to, to tell it like it is, you know, I there's some stuff that nobody else will tell you, you know, and or just being able to provide some advice in life, you know, as a, how to handle everything as a, as a mom. And recently I had this conversation with, with this person, you know, how to, how to do it. Like you're, you're trying to be the best mom and you're trying to to, to be the best person at work. And you have the kids like, you know, pulling you in all the directions, their sports, their school, and you don't want to forget about yourself either. And it's, but sometimes just having a conversation about, hey, it's okay. We, 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 you're, you're not perfect. You can only try your best in everything. But as long as you don't forget about the, um, your priorities. And um, to me, and some, someone told me that a wing commander way back when when I was in Greenwood told me this and it just stayed with me. And I, I tell that example to a lot of people. Uh, it's my three-legged stool. Um, my three-legged stool story is about trying to do it all, but the best as possible, but by trying to be balanced. So your three legs, one leg is, is you taking care of yourself. One leg is your family. You need to take care of your family, your spouse. But le- le- the third leg is your work. So you always we always try to do the best we can, but you need to make sure at the end of the day, you're able to sit on that bench. So if you are doing a bit too much work, and then your your leg is like maybe too high on on the work leg, well, let's let's you need to be conscious of that. And it's not something that, it's not something that I I can say that I've got it, I've done it a one time deal. It's a reevaluation. I think about that three legged stool every week. You know. Hmm, maybe I haven't been able to talk enough to the kids this week or I haven't connected enough. But it's a conscious decision, a conscious effort all the time to make sure I can sit on that bench.
1: So let's talk about the challenging parts. What has that been like for you? Challenges in your career so far, stuff that really sticks out. What comes to mind?
0: for me was to balance the, the balancing act to have um, my husband to be in the military as well and doing the same job as me, right? And both flying planes and obviously trying to manage a family when you might be on in the air and maybe not coming back home that night is is some, something we didn't want to do. So we always alternated who was flying. So that was a, a challenge because we had to manage that, manage that expectation. And we, we try to always bring up to our chain of command some different options of what we could do and for, for us not to com- to be in conflict with each other and, and being able to be the support of each other all the time.
1: That's so unique to you as a couple, though. Most people are busy being parents and juggling the career and time for themselves and health and mental health. And, uh, and you guys also had to throw in that uh which one of us is gonna get to fly it's, it's, it's kind of cool it's kind of cool it's kind of cool
0: yeah but well, we managed it really well I think uh, you know we we kind of gave each other the time and when the kids were really young and it was me uh, doing the mother thing you know I, I I was the one having the pregnancy so it made sense at the time that he was gonna keep busy flying while I was more home trying to to take care of the kids but Later on, you know, it got to be me flying more planes and it it it's perfect.
1: It's so good that you were able to balance that, though, that you didn't have to at any point weigh which career was more important than the other, um, that it, the journey of your both your careers and your family life was such that you perhaps didn't have to flip a coin or say, at this point, my flying career, you know, needs more hours than yours does. Like that never popped up.
0: Well, we there, there was always like I'm telling you, there was hours and hours and days and days of thinking about what we're going to do next to make sure that we had the best plan, you know, that we would share the best plan to the, our chain of command to, to make sure that it made sense because they have a lot of people to, to think about. And if they look at our plan, which is a bit of a challenge, the two of us to be, you know, they have to find a job for both of us that is both challenging like if if I don't take the time to think about it, they'll they'll do it for me. So that's why we we put a lot of brain power towards it. But it really pay pay back for us because they oftentimes agreed with our plan, so that was good. When I started having kids, he was flying a lot, so I at that time tried to to get some different jobs more on the ground, more uh, being able to support the family. So that was right in Greenwood uh, after my, my operational tour, did some ground jobs. Then we were posted to Toronto. My, my husband did a, a, a year-long course and I worked at the, the division. And then we came to Winnipeg. So it, it, was, uh, it was at that, that time my turn to go back flying and him to be able to support me a little bit. My posting to, to 17 Wing, uh, I was posted to Two Squadron uh, and became an instructor to to teach the young minds of the RCAF to become an air combat system officer. And I thought it was a perfect, perfect situation for me, you know, like kind of going to basic, flying with really young junior officers and and being able to be the motivated person at the other end, you know, trying to uh, let them know how amazing the job is and motivate them to become the best Axo and the best officer that they can be. In an inclusive way, um, I'd say. So that was that was a really great posting, and you know, I had I had not flown for a long time, so it it was a bit of a challenge because I felt like the information was deep in some drawers that I needed to to, uh, to dust. But it was it was fantastic. The team was amazing, and the way they teach you to become an instructor is is good, you know, like they, they really take you by the hand and, and show you everything. So after after this posting, it was actually my, my husband became the commanding officer of 402 squadron. And I believe we are the first couple in the RCAF to to command the same unit. So he did it for two years, he left, someone else came over and then I took over the command of 402 squadron this summer. So I, I, we're pretty proud of, of this achievement, both of both of us. And we really feel that 4.02 has been our family because we were both here as students a long, long time ago. I came back as an an instructor. I was the chief instructor as well. And now I'm I'm the commanding officer. And my husband was just here for the two years time when he was a commanding officer. So 4.02 has a special spot in our heart. I'm going to be working in a few weeks here to Regain like my, my flying category, uh, flying with students again, flying with different instructors. It's been it's been a while. I cannot wait to go and fly our nice Gonzo. That's what we call our CT one forty two eight, and fly with the instructors, fly with our pilots, engage more with the technicians. So that be that'll be great and fantastic to do.
1: And it's great that the Air Force has been able to be so supportive of both of your careers. You, you've both, um, for lack of a better term, you're both super successful. Uh, you've both been commanding officers and you were able to manage that with their leadership, which is so great. Correct.
0: I just say like we're both air combat system officer, but I have to tell you that we are probably the most opposite air combat system officer you may, you may find in, in the RCAF. Like just just the way we are, the way we uh You know, we get along really well, but it's just the the type of work we like to do sometimes is is different and that works for us. And uh, so what I like to say is that there's a a job for everyone, you know, and if it's not air combat system officer, there's there's something for you in the RCAF. It's just like you have to find it. So you both have different leadership styles or different personalities? Both. I'd say both, but also er, what we like to do, you know, like right now is the director of fleet readiness which is a job that I, I probably don't want to ever do. Uh, a lot more technical, but he really la- enjoys it. It's busy. He likes it. It's, you know, he's involved with different fleets, but it's not something that I would really enjoy.
1: And you don't have to answer this next question, but being as how your, your husband was the commanding officer before you, have you ever found that uh, you get compared to him now that
0: you are the commanding officer?
1: Are you are you sort of in a shadow? Is there a shadow? Uh, that's
0: a great question. I I I don't think we've ever been compared. No, I and if if they do, they don't they don't tell they don't tell me this. So that's a you know they might be saying it in the background, saying that I'm obviously way better. Um, that might be the thing they do, but no, or, or I don't know. Never to my face have they ever said anything like that.
1: <laughs> and I don't think they ever would, especially not when you're the boss. Let's talk about the uh, Air Force's 100th for a second. I know you work a lot within the community in Winnipeg on some boards and some committees. As the CEO, you kind of have this responsibility to link the Air Force and the community. It's sort of an Air Force town. What are you guys doing this year that's special?
0: Uh, we're going to have a gala that will be hosted on, on my anger floor, actually, uh, in anger 16 there's going to be playing in the background, we're going to have a great meal, but the people in the community will be invited to this. And that really links the community to the RCF 2024, you know, and, and, and being able to be engaged with the aviation, with their CAF, with 17 wing, right? Because right now us, we're local, but we have some great ties all around the city. And And my unit, for example, is called 402 Squadron, City of Winnipeg Squadron. So 402, City of Winnipeg Squadron. So for us to welcome the community on our anger floor to host a gala, it's not 402 really hosting the gala, it's the, the entire uh, 17 wing. But we cannot wait to to open our Anger doors to the community on uh, and to celebrate 2024 and uh, our 100th anniversary.
1: It sounds like it's going to be spectacular. I hope I get an invite.
0: Well, you know, <laughs> you're pretty far, but I'm sure you 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 could find a a plane from Ottawa that could fly <laughs> you here. <laughs> I think I can manage it. I think I can manage it. But
1: before we move on, we have a couple of hot seat questions for you. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and we just need the top of the head answer. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> of course I'm ready. What's been your favorite job?
0: Right now. That's that's the job I always wanted to do. Being the commanding officer. Commanding officer for two squadron. My dream job. And did you plan this? Well, like not early on in my career. I did not necessarily know that that's what I wanted to do, but like in the last... You know, decade, you know, when I had the chance to come and instruct for at 402 Squadron as an instructor, I was like that. That would be really awesome if I could one day, if I could ever one day command this unit, that would be fantastic. That would be where, you know, my dream job and and it, it happened. So it's fantastic. Do you think
1: your kids would agree that they've got a kick butt mom?
0: I hope so. I hope. I hope so. But can I tell you a little funny story? Just because. Yes, absolutely. So my when I told my youngest, he's 14 years old, and I said, you know, I'm changing job this summer, I'm going to be the, the commanding officer for two-squadron, and he knows how, how much of a woman advocate I am, so he tapped my shoulder, he's like, mom, I have something to tell you, but I don't want you to be mad, promise me? So I looked at him, I'm like, okay, promise, no, I won't be mad. He's like, mom, when I think of a boss, I think of a big, tall man, and Indira, I'm, I'm five foot tall, so... I looked at him. I'm like, exactly. And, then, and that's why I need to be in this job because, you know, we all have our bias. And now there's going to be 250 people at 42 Squadron that when they think of a boss, they'll, they'll think that it could be a small woman too.
1: Absolutely. It could be. I loved when I was a snowbird. I was also a Skyhawk and I would meet little girls at air shows and I would say to them, oh yeah, you could totally be anything you want to be. You want to be an astronaut? Do it. Yes, <laughs> and that's I think that's we as women in the military, we have that opportunity to get out there and tell tell little girls, you know, you could do absolutely anything you want to do. And it's so cool that we get to leave our mark that way. Um okay, the third hot seat question, what would you say to 17-year-old
0: Genevieve? Be confident. Stop doubting yourself. For sure.
1: Look at that cuz at the age of 17, we're uh we're thinking about where we want to go and we're so consumed with how we need to be, that we forget that we can get there if we have more self-confidence. That's a great answer.
0: For sure. I And I to be honest, it's something that I, I tell that, that to myself still, you know, it's it's a, it's a day-to-day work. And did that
1: daily affirmation, I'm awesome, like the lion, yes. the little cat looking in the mirror and he sees a lion. Um, well, listen, it has been wonderful chatting with you. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. I've loved hearing your story and I really appreciate the time.
0: Well, thank you, Indira, for, for a great afternoon together. And I hope the RCF learned a little bit more about RCF member.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of RCAF Jumpseat. If you've enjoyed the episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, leave a five-star review and post about it on your social media platform. If you've got feedback or a story you'd like to hear, email us at rcafjumpseat at forces.gc.ca. We'll see you next time in The Jump Seat.
0: RCF Jump Seat Podcast. Copyright His Majesty the King and Right of Canada. As represented by the Minister of National Defence 2023.